care of them. Um, I just, you know, get choked up thinking about the little bowl of rice that they eat. With some vegetables, and they're so grateful. And they're so joyful, you know. And they were definitely an inspiration to me. Uh, Catherine, she's 24 years old, and she uh, uh, runs the orphanage there. And she was telling me that sometimes when people come to Cambodia, they tell them, um, you know, be careful. The Cambodians might steal your wallet. (laughs) And she says, no, be careful because the orphans might steal your heart. And that's kind of what happened. There's this one little girl. She's the one that taught me how to count in uh, Kamai, a beautiful little girl. And the bottom line is, I guess, whoever you spend time with, you're going to fall in love with, you know. But, um, you know, man, it was just so cool. And uh, anyways, what ended up happening was I started getting a little selfish. And I thought, man, you know what, I want to, I like, have a relationship with her. I want to, you know, support her and pray her and even finances if possible. And so um, I started getting some thoughts. I thought, man, and I, and I grant, grant you, is selfishly motivated, you know, um, I know what we could do. We could take a picture of all the kids, and we'll get their profile, and we'll get their names and stuff, and then we'll bring it back to the church, and we'll see that if anybody wants to, you know, maybe adopt one of the kids, so to speak, not, you know, literally, but prayerfully and financially, um, then, uh, you know, we'll give them the opportunity. And I was doing that not for you. I was doing it for me, okay, And because uh, I fell in love with this one little girl. Her name is Pitsai, and anyways, uh, I, I, I thought, I'll ask Catherine, but I thought, no, that's weird. She's going to think I'm weird. You know, I don't want her to think I'm weird. <laughs> and so I waited and waited and waited and just wouldn't go out of my heart. And so finally, by the day before we left, I asked her, you know, uh, if that would be something they're interested in, take a picture of them, get their name and profile, and maybe we could sponsor them. And she said, no, you don't need to take their picture or name or profile. She said, oh, we already have that. She said, but we don't have sponsors for them. And so I thought, wow, Lord, you saved them for us, you know. So cool. And so if that sounds like something that you're interested in, if you would like to, you know, choose one of those little girls or one of those little boys, there's 30 orphans there, and uh, pray for them. But you can't be flaky, okay? If you're serious about it, you want to pray for them, and you want to give, let's say, $20 a month, and you can even write to them. They're learning English, and they have helpers over there, Um if that sounds like something you're interested in, you know, uh, let me know afterwards. I've got a list going. Uh, we have a picture of one of the girls. Is Ariel or Martin, do you know where it's at? We had one uh, girl up here. Maybe uh, it's in the preview class. Maybe not. Anyways, I was going to show you. That's the only one you can't have, uh, pit side. But you can have any of the other ones, man. <laughs> but if that sounds like something that you're interested in, you can let me know afterwards. Uh, but what a blessing. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the construction that took place there and uh, some things that happened in the rock quarry, and then we'll go to the very end. But thank you so much, Akum. Thank you so much uh, for your prayers. Uh, Katie's here, as a matter of fact, uh, from uh, Cambodia. And so afterwards, you guys can talk to her and uh, maybe continue to pray for her. From what I understand, she's getting ready to go back uh, as soon as possible. She wants to go back, I think, in July. So let's pray. Father, what a joy it is, Lord God, to have gone to Cambodia. Um, Father, the grace in my life and to be able to come back 
Father, with so many people in my heart. And, Lord, just praying that you will do a work through us, knowing that you will do a work in us if we're, if we're willing to let you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this church, for your people, uh, and so many things that we have to be grateful for. We pray for the kids over there, Lord. We pray for the work over there. We pray for, Lord, all the people, Lord, in Cambodia and Mexico and around the world, here in Almani, Lord, surrounding areas, Father. Do a great work, Father, we ask, to brought your spirit. And even now as we study your word, Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up today to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and what I want to share with you today is four, I mean seven words that I think we can write down. If you take notes, I'm proud of you. If you don't take notes, I encourage you to, if you can. Because uh, sometimes at school, when you go to a study, uh, not only to hear it, um, but then to review it. And uh, so I want to encourage you guys to write down these seven words. Afterwards, I'm going to test you on it, see if you know it. Sometimes I know you don't take notes. Maybe you get a CD, or maybe it's just there in your heart. The Holy Spirit has the ability to do that as well. But seven words. First word is the word identification. Because look what you read here in Luke 9 and verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, speaking of Jesus, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Here we read in verse 7 that Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by Jesus And he also heard the many rumors about the identification of Jesus. As you study the Jewish history, you realize there are many, many Herods in the Bible. Herod the Great had sons, Herod Philip I, Herod Philip II, Agrippa I, Agrippa II. We read about them in the book of Acts. Here we read about Herod. It calls him the Tetrarch. He's also known as Herod Antipas. And he ruled from 4 B.C. to A.D. 39 there in Galilee and Perea. He was basically the ruling Herod in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, when you study his life, he first was married to a man, I mean, married to a woman who was uh, uh, the daughter of a Nabatian king. But what happened was he fell in love with his half brother's wife, Herodias, and the two then eloped, although they were married at the time. And that scandalous affair was called out by John the Baptist, if you remember. And so Herod had him arrested. Eventually, ultimately, he was then beheaded, and Herod would be the one that was responsible for it. And so when you read the Bible, it seems like he was kind of haunted by that, you know. And so when he heard about Jesus, along with the gossip and the rumors, what we see is that Herod thought that maybe Jesus was John come back from the dead. We read also of others that they thought Jesus was it's kind of interesting. Verse 7 says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed. He was perplexed. It comes from two Greek words. means that he was left not wanting. Thank you, bro. Not knowing which way to turn. Not knowing how or what to decide. 
not knowing what to do. You see, Herod heard what Jesus was doing, and he heard a lot of different opinions about him. And because of all that, he was left puzzled and perplexed. You see, and that's what happens when you don't have a clear-cut understanding of the identification of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I would say that's probably the root, that's probably the heart of many of the problems that we have in life. We're struggling and we're bouncing to and fro. And, you know, we're vacillating in our walk and our commitment. And a lot of times it's it's because of the fact that we don't have a clear-cut understanding of the identification of Jesus Christ. Again, some said Jesus was John, come back to life. Others said it was Elijah. The Jews were waiting for Elijah. Some thought it was one of the old prophets who had risen from the dead. There was a lot of confusion about Christ. There was a lot of lies about the Lord that were floating around, even as we see today in the world that we live in. There's a lot of perplexity. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of confusion, a lot of illusion about who Jesus really is. We see it all over the world. You go to Cambodia, they don't even know. They've never heard. The identification of Jesus Christ is an important issue for us to settle in our hearts. Was he a past or a passing prophet? Is he just a random rabbi? Some say he was a tremendous teacher. That's where Herod was, kind of between all these things. I like what we read in verse 9, though. It says that Herod said, John, I beheaded, but, but who is this? In my Bible, I circled that. Who is this? Who is Jesus Christ, of whom we've heard so many things? And so he sought to see him. You see, there was a question about the identification of Christ. And that's really the most important question in all of life. Who is he? Who is Jesus of whom we've heard such great things? You see, our eternity hinges on our answer to that. You know, Herod seemed to say the right thing. It's kind of interesting there at the end of verse 9. So he sought to see him. But one thing I've learned in life, for those of you guys who are older, you know this. For those of us that are younger, sometimes we haven't learned this yet. Words are cheap, right? He sought to see him. He sought to see him. Did he really seek to see him? Did he really? Because if Herod really would have sought to see Jesus, he would have found him, right? I mean, there's Zacchaeus. He was sure he had an excuse. I can't see Jesus. What did he do? He climbed a tree. Now I can see Jesus. There's a woman with a flow of blood. She's, no, man, I can't get to Jesus. It's too crowded. She made her way through the crowd, and she found Jesus. You see, a lot of times we think, well, maybe God's moved. I can't find him. I can't find God. I can't find Christ. And we might even blame it on God. I feel so distant. Well, God hasn't moved, and it's not God's fault. If you're not in a personal, passionate, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ, it is simply because you are not seeking him the way that you should. The Bible promises, Jeremiah 29, verse 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Who is Jesus, of whom we've heard so many great things? Man, let's seek to see him. You know, according to Luke 23, 8, Herod just wanted to see Jesus perform. You know, and we need to know today that the seeking of Christ can't be just out of curiosity. It can't be done flippantly. It will not take place if it's done half-heartedly. It won't. It must be done out of desperation. It must be done out of sincerity of heart to find Christ as we seek for him with all that we are. You see, the finding and identifying of the person, purpose, and power of Jesus is absolutely vital. We see it here And Jesus even brings it up later 
Look at verse 18, you guys. In Luke 9, it says, And it happened as he was praying alone, that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. It's so cool. We see Jesus praying. We see him praying a lot in the Gospel of Luke. He was alone with his father. And one of the things about the Lord that's so cool is he never said anything until his father told him to. He never did anything. He never went anywhere. It was completely controlled by the authority of his father. And so obviously now his father tells him, listen, I want you to ask them a question. And so Jesus asks them now a question. He says it's time to deal with this question of identification And, you know, keep in mind, whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not that he doesn't know. It's that he wants his disciples to think about this. Who do the crowds say that I am? And so the disciples, they'd gotten the misguided gossip. And so John, uh, the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say that they're one of the prophets. And there's that massive misconception about Jesus. It was there then. It's here today with us today in this world that we live in. So much confusion amongst the crowd. But then Jesus does what he always does. He gets taken deeper beyond the general consensus and then to the personal opinion. He says, listen, but who do you say that I am? And that's where it's at. That's your life. That's your eternity. That's heaven. That's hell. That's everything. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And we take that question out to the world. We take it to the mission field. We take it to the lost. We take it to the poor. We take it to the hurting. And we take it to our own heart. And we never lose sight. And we never miss this. We never move from this. Who is Jesus Christ? We have the answer here. Peter said, I know who you are. You are the Christ of God. In Matthew 16, verse 16, we have the full answer. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Greek is Christos, Hebrew, Mashiach. It literally means the anointed one. The anointed one. In the Old Testament, the anointed, the prophet, priest, and king. That's who Jesus was. The anointed prophet, priest, and king. The savior of the world. The anointed prophet. He's the messenger. The anointed priest. He's the mediator. The anointed king. He's the master. And as long as we never forget who he is, we'll be okay in life. If he is the anointed prophet with the messenger, the message from God, then let's listen to him. Let's read his word. He said the Old Old Testament, it's all about him. The New Testament, it's all apostolic. It's all from Christ. That's why it's so cool to get into the Bible. Last week, Joey did a study about studying the Bible and living the Bible. He is the anointed prophet, the messenger. He's the anointed priest. And what that means is that he's the mediator. You want to get to God, you got to go through Christ. And that's the only place you can go. That's the only place you have to go. You go to Jesus, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Nor is there salvation in any other name. And it's so cool, though, when you come to Christ, 
and you humble yourself, you receive him as Lord and Savior, now we have a personal relationship with God. And he, he reconciles us to God. He tore the veil in two. There's now no separation between you and God. You don't need to go to Mary. You don't need to go to some other saint. You don't need to go through some human priest or pastor or human prophet. You can go directly to God because you've gone through the mediator. See, he's the anointed one, the Christos, Messiah, prophet, priest, and king. Is Jesus Christ really the king of your life? That means he rules. That means he makes the laws. That means he rules over the citizens of his kingdom. That means he calls the shots, not you. He writes your schedule, not you. He tells you where to go. He tells you what to say. He tells you what to do. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And that's why it's so important to come back to the basics. A lot of times we think, you know, that it's complicated things. And, you know, there's this complexity and perplexity. And it's really, there's a simplicity of it. Jesus Christ is the anointed prophet, priest, and king. I'm going to listen to his word. I'm going to go to him as I go to God. I'm going to just live a life in which I let him be the ruler of all that I am. You see, Peter called him the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you're wondering who Jesus is, you see there his humanity. That's why he came to earth, to be the anointed one. You see there his deity, that he is God the Son, second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you know this, man, it just brings everything into clarification. This identification has to take place personally in every single one of our hearts. Remember the woman at the well? She went, she told everybody who Jesus was. They came and, you know, they gathered around and then they got to know him. And then we read in John 4, verse 42, they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so in studying our Bibles today, we learn, first of all, of identification. The second one we learn is kind of cool. If you would write down recuperation. I like this one. Look what it says in verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. The cross-reference for this is Mark 6, 30-32, in which we read the apostles gathered to Jesus, told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Did you guys know that sometimes the godliest thing you could do is take a nap. Did you know that? I hear an amen. Amen. You're like, yeah, I'm doing it right now, Manny. <laughs> That's okay. I don't get mad when people sleep, man. <laughs> you know, sometimes, though, it really is, man. Sometimes the best for us is rest for us. It really is. Some people, man, they work seven days a week. You work seven days a week, you will never be the person God wants you to be. Never. God established a Sabbath day. You need recuperation. You need times of relaxation. You need times of even vacation. That's biblical. Jesus said, you guys have been out. You've been ministering back and forth. Come aside by yourselves and rest a while. 
Because you need that time, you guys, to slow down and sit at Jesus' feet. It's so important physically, emotionally, spiritually to make sure you have that time of recuperation, relaxation, vacation, getting away from the many, many, many things and getting with the one, just you and him, or maybe just you and a few people, seeking the Lord together. Because if you get too busy, guess what's going to happen? You get busy, you'll get dizzy, I guarantee you. You will. You're like, man, what's happening in my life? There's no clarity. There's no voice of God. There's no, you know, compass. Why? Because you're working so much, man. And I know sometimes it's out of our hands, but most of the times it is in your hands. And most of the time you can make a stand. You can tell your boss, you know what? God's first on my list. It's very important for us to have that understanding. You know, I encourage you, if possible, try to make your way there. Get out of debt. Work five days a week. Work one day at home because you got the honeydews. you got to take care of the wife, right? And get one day of rest. Watch what happens when you do things God's way. See, it's important to have that identification, knowing who Jesus is. It's important to have that recuperation. Unfortunately, there are those in the kingdom who don't believe in relaxation, recuperation, or vacation. One lady, she came to Warren Wiersbe, and she was appalled at the fact that he was taking a vacation. She said, the devil doesn't take a vacation. And Warren Wiersbe said, well, the devil doesn't have a body. You know, my body's jacked up, (laughs) and I need some rest, right? If you have a body, then there's those times. Maybe it's a 20-minute power nap. might be 24 hours, one day, a week, maybe more. When it's necessary for the most effective ministry to take place, to go aside privately into a deserted place, here we learn that from the Lord. We're led by the Lord at least to try, because this is what happened. They tried to get privacy, but it didn't work out that way, because look what happens. We read in verse 11, but when the multitudes knew it, they followed him And he told them to go away. No, that's not what it says, right? It says, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. Identification, recuperation, how about consideration? That's what Jesus does at this point. Although tired and drained, he never complained. He didn't say no as easily as some so-called ministers do nowadays. Oh, it's my day off. I'm sorry I can't serve today. I'm on vacation. I'm sorry I can't answer the phone today. And in the world that we live in today, many times those within the ministry who claim to be servants are not servants. Yeah, we try to get our rest. It doesn't always work out that way. We are led by the Lord and we live in a nation of consideration. Jesus Christ is my example of this. And I see that here so clearly. He lived in that nation. And, you know, one of the interesting things about this is that these people were not the most sincere people in the world. When you read John chapter 6, you find that they kind of just wanted food. You know, the dictionary defines the considerate as one who is careful not to hurt another. It's one who carefully, thoughtfully helps another and here we see if you have an niv it says that even in the midst of their attempt to take some time off when they came to jesus and they found jesus the bible says that he welcomed them he welcomed them he helped them spiritually we read that in verse 11 
And then look at verse 12. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. For we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. But there were about 5,000 men. And then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Identification. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. Recuperation. Get some rest. It really is best. Consideration. These people need something spiritually. I want to I help them. You know, these people need something physically. And I want to help them. And that's the beautiful life of a Christian. You know, one of the things in going to Cambodia and coming back and stepping off that plane and stepping into America and stepping into a world that's almost perfect. Man, we live here. We don't realize how rich we are and how poor they are. And seeing it with your own eyes, it just, man, it just brought me to a deep conviction. We are accountable and we are responsible. You know, and I don't want to be weird and I don't want to freak you out or anything like that. But I do and I must warn you that one day we will stand before God and we'll give an account of our gluttony, of our indulgences, and of our negligence in helping the hurting and the poor of this world. We are so rich. And I'm not saying we can't be rich. The Bible says it's okay to be rich. But it says command those who are rich not to trust in uncertain riches, but to help those who are in need. I believe we're blessed, not for ourselves. I believe we're blessed to help others. And we must be so careful that we do not forget that. Because there are so many people, man, the kids, one of the kids, he had a little infection underneath his his foot. So they cleansed it and they wrapped it. And then he walks away with no shoes because he has none. He has no shoes. He has no flip-flops. They wear the same clothes every day. You know, and maybe you've heard about it, but it's, it's real. So, you know, we were blessed. We were able to get them some flip-flops. They, they sit on the concrete for church. So we were able to get them some chairs. But all I'm saying is this, man. we got to catch the vision and understand that, you know, God has blessed us for a reason, and that is to give to other people. Here we see they needed food. Jesus said, man, they're hungry. I don't want them to faint and go home. And I want to feed them. You feed them. We can feed them. And that's the truth, you guys, of the world that we live in, man. We need to understand this. You know, he didn't turn them away. One of the things that we see about Jesus is although he himself was poor, he cared for the poor. John 13, 29 says he used to give to the poor. Interesting, even though he himself didn't have a place to lay his head. 
He didn't have a whole bunch. He didn't turn them away. He didn't send them away. He didn't look the other way like we usually do. He did something about it. He did something spiritual. He did something physical. That's spiritual. James 2, 14, 15, and 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? That's true Christianity, pure and undefiled religion. It's to visit the orphans and widows in their time of need. All I'm saying is you guys be so careful with the indulgences that you have. And remember that God has blessed you so that you can bless others. Consideration. Validation. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And and it wasn't catered by In-N-Out or anything like that, man. I mean, one of the little lads there, Andrew Bottom, this is all we have, five barley loaves. That was like the cheapest bread, a couple of fish. But what is it among so many? There's probably a lot more than 5,000. 5,000 men, it wasn't a men's conference. Matthew chapter 14, verse 21 says there was also women and children. So you got 5,000 men, maybe 5,000 women, maybe 10,000 kids. I don't know. Usually there's more women than men, huh? And usually there's more kids than adults. I mean, there could have been 20,000 people there. No problem, Jesus said. I'll take care of it. And he fed them all. He fed them all. They were gluttoned. I mean, they were full. That's what the Bible says. And then they had 12 baskets left over, probably each for the apostles. I mean, it's amazing what Jesus does. This is a validation. John chapter 6, verse 14 says it's a sign. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. It's a sign. A sign says something. A sign points to something. Look at what Jesus Christ has done. I mean, who's ever done works like him? The blind can see. The dead can live. The lame can walk. The you know, mute can speak. The deaf can hear. You know, And to feed the thousands, to walk on water, to rise from the dead. When you look at Christ, all these signs are validations of who he is. You and I have a faith that's founded on fact. He's our savior. He's the savior of the world. No one else has ever spoke like him. No one else has ever worked like him. You see identification. Here you see recuperation. You see consideration validation and then if I could add this illustration illustration because you know this whole miracle right here is pretty cool now some people in reading this right here in Luke this miracle is mentioned in all four gospels so Jesus really wants you to know this you know they'll say oh I'm the bread you know and what Jesus wants to do in my life they'll say this sometimes oh he wants to bless me he wants to break me and he wants to give me away you know and I, I suppose if you want to Uh, do spiritual uh, calisthenics or gymnastics, you probably could come away with that. Scripture has one interpretation, many applications, but I I wouldn't say that if I were you. Why? Because the world does not need you. It needs Jesus. He's the blessed one who was broken and has given himself away, right? He is the bread of life. And it's so interesting because the whole miracle was connected there in John chapter 6. They said, show us a sign. He said, 
They said, you know, Moses brought down manna from heaven. They just wanted bread. They wanted French bread, sourdough bread, you name it. They wanted all the different wheat bread. I mean, it's crazy, right? And, and Jesus said, man, you eat that bread, you're going to be hungry again. I'm the bread of life, right? He who eats of this bread will never hunger again. You see, it's an illustration of how Jesus will meet the needs of the 5,000, the 10,000, the 20,000. But he did use his apostles, didn't he? He said, make them break up into groups of 50. I'll do the miracle right here. Tell you what, you be distributors. And that's all we are. We're not manufacturers. We are distributors. And God is willing to use your life to give the people the bread of life. Or if you go to Cambodia, they don't use bread for this text right here. You know what they call them? The rice of life. It's kind of interesting. Because over in Cambodia and other places in Asia, you got to re- eat rice every day. If you don't eat rice, they kind of feel like I'm not going to live today, you know. And it's like that sustenance. It's that nourishment that keeps you going. You know, for some of you here, like I said earlier, it might be tortillas or something. For them, it's rice. For the bread, it's an illustration of what, of what we really need. You see, Jesus teaches us these things. He shows us these things. And I think that things are beginning to click. I think we're catching the vision. But then he says more. Look what he says in verse 21. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. You know, Peter had said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, don't tell anybody because they're not ready to hear it. The people are carnal. All they think about is the kingdom of men. They're thinking that the Messiah is just going to come to free them physically from the Roman power and dominion. Don't tell anyone yet. They're not ready to hear it. Because the true assignment of the Messiah is to suffer and die and be buried, but I will rise again the third day. And earlier he had, you know, shared this implicitly. He said, destroy this temple, third, three days I'll, I'll raise it up. Or just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three nights, three days, three nights, hard in the earth, and, and I'll rise again. He had said it implicitly. Now he says it explicitly wanting to explain to them in advance why, you know, the accusation, the incarceration, the crucifixion, all these things, getting them ready for this whole thing so that when it would take place, they would not stumble. You know, and God does that. God explains things even in advance. He's telling us, he's telling some of you, he's told us, man, you're going to have hard times in life. It's not going to be easy. You know, and our natural tendency is to, you know, the, 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 the road or the path of least resistance, right? Isn't that our natural tendency? It really is. You know, i got to tell you this, and I'm also embarrassed to say this. I hope Katie's not here. I think she is. Anyways, man, you know, going to Cambodia, and then the weather for me was really, really hard. It really was. There was one night where I felt like I couldn't breathe. It was so hot, and the air conditioner was not going full bore. Something was wrong with it, right? And I thought, man, Lord, I can't breathe. This is really tough for me. And so I opened the door. It was worse. <laughs> it was probably mental, you know. But I prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally I went up and I had the air conditioner in my face. I was able to live. I wasn't 
about to die in Cambodia, right? I wanted to come back. You know, but there's things about it that, that, that definitely take you outside of our American comfort zone. Some people, man, it's real easy. For others, it might be tough. But that does not stop me. That will not stop me, man, from going back. Why? Because of the people. Because of the calling. Because of God's will, not my will. And we have to make sure that we are very careful with things like that. You know that the Lord tells us in advance life is going to be hard so that when it gets hard, you won't stumble. That you'll know that he's with you in the fire, right? He's in the valleys of the hilltops. And we need to know that, you guys. It's so important. You see, he gives us the explanation. And he tells them in advance what would happen. So that when it does, they would not stumble. So Peter hears this, that Jesus is going to die. And what do you think Peter does? Thumbs up? No way. The Bible says in Matthew 16:22, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. No way. And so what does the Lord say? Well, we read in verse 23. Then he said to them all, listen, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? And we close today with that, that, that expectation. What is the expectation for us as Christians? What is the expectation I'm talking the bare minimum for those who desire to follow Jesus Christ. You know, some people say, well, the expectation is reading my Bible once in a while and kind of moseying on through it. Or the expectation is spending a few moments in prayer. The expectation is, you know, I'm supporting a family. The expectation is I go to church on Sundays. The expectation is I told, you know, two people about Jesus this month. You know, and those things are all okay. But really, that's not the core of the expectation that God has for us. It's much, much more. The expectation is that we would die. That we would deny ourselves, take up our cross every single day and follow him. That means it's his kingdom, not my kingdom. That means it's his agenda, not my agenda. That means it's his calling, not my calling. That means that he's my leader and I'm just a follower. You see, that's what it's all about. Peter, you don't think it's right? You don't think it's right for me to die, Peter? Listen, it's right for me and it's right for you. If you want anything to do with me, you must do the same as I do. You see, it's right for anyone who has a desire to follow Christ and to be his disciple. As a matter of fact, let me tell you how important this is. If there you are trying to save your life by resisting and refusing to die to yourself, then you and your attempt to save your life will lose your life. But if you choose to lose your life 
for my sake and the gospel's sake. Jesus said, then and only then will you find me. He's probably speaking about salvation. He's probably speaking about our sanctification. He's speaking about all of life. Now, what gets in the way? Well, it's me, for one. This knucklehead right here, right? You knuckleheads, right? Not the ladies, just the guys. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, me, so I have taken my cross. Think about that. Take up my cross. Okay, a cross in those days was not like a nice little polished cross in nowadays. It was the instrument of death. Take up my cross. Me. Another thing that gets in the world is the it, it, it gets in the way is the world, and that's why Jesus says right there in verse 25, "What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed?" You see, that gets in the way. The world and the things of the world. See, my flesh works in cooperation with Satan and the world, and the things of the fallen world system. And what gets in the way so many times is the way, and if I can just say this uh, gently, but hopefully say this clearly, Christians have been conformed to this world. And it's almost like many times Christians and all their expectations and all their white picket fence dreams and all the things that they want to be engaged in, they have been conformed to this world and it's like they're in a matrix and they can't get out. And what the Lord has shown me and he's showing me, I, I shouldn't have had the God to Cambodia to figure it out. It's all in the Bible, plain and clear. But I need to break out of this trap, this mold, this matrix. I need to come back to what it really means to be a Christian, a New Testament Christian sold out and surrendered, completely committed to the commission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not my life, but his life and his calling for us. Husbands, dads, moms, wives, married people, single people, old, young, all of us here, good, bad, doesn't matter. God must be the priority of our life. We are here for him and not for us. This is the expectation. Let's not water it down, you guys. Let's not play church. God, help us. Give us the wisdom. I know for some it means going far away. I know for others it means, you know, settling things in your own home or in your own heart. I know for some it means getting involved in ministry. I don't know what it is. But steps must be taken to follow through and to find your part in the body of Jesus Christ. And wherever you are, God wants you to be faithful. And God wants you to be a faithful servant for his glory. You know, when you look at our study today, so much here, identification, recuperation, consideration, validation, illustration, explanation, and expectation. My son helped me with some of these words right here. <laughs> Adrian Rogers said, probably the greatest sin in the church today is worldliness. You guys, let's let the Lord uh, break us free from this. Let's live our life for him, for his glory, 
for his honor. He'll show you the details of what you need to do. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is lost and destroyed? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You guys, let's do it, man. With all our hearts, full bore, absolute surrender. Lord, I thank you for your grace in our life. I thank you for the God who came and died for the whole world, not just my sins. You died for them in Almani, Rosarita, Cambodia, the whole, the whole, whole world. So what do we need to do, Lord? Show us. Help us to be serious about you. And it can't just be an emotional thing, Lord. It can't. It can't. It's got to be a convictional thing, Lord. It's got to be something that we are persuaded from your word, Lord, to surrender to you and allow your Holy Spirit to carry us through the hard times, through the, the fun times, through the good times, through what some might consider bad times. But with faces set like flint to go to Jerusalem and to die. Help us to hear your voice. Like we, we sang it earlier, the, the whisper of God. To hear that still small voice. God, what do you want me to do? God, where do I belong? Help us, Lord God, to follow you. I thank you for the beautiful people that are here today, Lord. I thank you so much. I pray you bless them, encourage them, strengthen them, take them by the hand and lead them through life. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's not a Christian, then that today would be the day of salvation. And just with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, someone invited you maybe, uh, I don't know how, somehow you ended up here, I do know this, that God loves you that God loves you so much. And he brought you here, not that friend or that relative. He brought you here because he loves you and he wants to forgive you of all your sins. So what he did is he sent his son Jesus to die on that cross for you. And right here, right now, all you have to do is make a decision to turn from your sins and to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you do that, You can know, even as you walk out of this room today, that you are a child of God. The Bible says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. And I just want to give that opportunity, just in case. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to be lost. I want you to know God's love for you. I want you to find the forgiveness that's in Christ. And so if you're here today and you want to receive the Lord, you want to get right, right where you're at, would you just raise your hand? And we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for the hand that's gone up, for the hands that have gone up. Anyone else, don't be afraid. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your whole life. It changes your eternity. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God wants to give you the gift of heaven, forgiveness and freedom. Anyone else? 